Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu. We continue our new sermon series called Grit and Grace, where we focus in on the lives of women in the Bible. Today's sermon focuses on one of the more endearing stories in the Bible, the story of Ruth. Here's First Pres Assistant Pastor Steve Page with the sermon, Bitter to Blessed. All right, well, before I read, uh, I want to show you a, a little map up here. I just want to uh, point out a couple of places that you're going to see in the reading. I just wanted to be familiar um, uh, the geographical understanding. We're talking about two places in particular, Bethlehem and Moab. Moab is like in present-day Jordan, or a small portion of it. It's on the east side there of the Dead Sea. So I just want, when we read Moab, you're like, what the heck is that? So I want you to understand where it is. If you're able, please stand with me as I read the word of God. And it's from Ruth chapter one and it goes like this. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem and Judah went uh, to live in the country of Moab. And he, his wife and two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. And the name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Melan and Kilion. They were Ephratites from Bethlehem and Judah. They, spent, uh, they went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left with her two sons. And these took Moabite wives. And the name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. When they had lived there about ten, when they had lived there about ten years, both Malan and Kilion also died, so that the woman was left without their sons and her husband. Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters in laws got ready to leave Moab and return to her homeland. Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back to your mother's homes. May the Lord show loving kindness to you as he has shown to the dead and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they all wept aloud. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, today we uh, continue in our sermon series on women in the Bible, which we're calling Grit and Grace. And in this story, uh, in the book of Ruth, we come across two women who have a huge dose of both. And as you saw that this story is about two devastated women who went on this amazing journey together. One was a a Jewish woman named Naomi and the other one was a Moabite woman named Ruth. Now I know to our modern ears, combining such people with these kind of ethnic markers isn't very remarkable at all to us. But let me tell you, in those days, this was highly unusual if it was likely at all. And as we just read that the relationship was born out of tremendous tragedy. First of all, there was a famine in Israel, Naomi's homeland. So she and her family uh, got up and moved to an area. But what's interesting, they moved to an area that had a long history of being hostile to Jews. And that was Moab. 
And while there, Naomi experiences a tremendous loss, the loss of a husband and her two sons. And this meant, of course, that Ruth and Orpah, the young Moabite brides, also had their share of tragic loss. But moreover, given the social context of that era, these losses, particularly for Naomi, it made her incredibly vulnerable to other losses. The loss of land, the loss of wealth, the loss of security, the loss of a future, and perhaps most of all, the loss of hope for an older woman. Have you ever experienced such difficulties, such losses in your life? Do you know the journey of frightening vulnerability and weakness? You know, verse six tells us that after these devastating events, Naomi hears that things are better back in Israel, so she seeks to return. Maybe she thought perhaps she can at least survive there. Days of thriving for her are shot, but maybe at least she can survive back home. And understandably, her two daughters-in-laws want to remain with her, but, but, but Naomi knows that their best shot at a new life would be in their home country with their own people, with their own family, with their own ethnic group. That their best shot of having another husband and the hope for having a family or a solid future would be there to stay there in Moab. Now, eventually, Naomi convinces one of the women to go back home, but Ruth, Ruth makes that amazing statement to Naomi where she says, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And I love this commitment at the end there. Wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. Now, I want you to notice a couple of things here real fast. You know, for, the, for Ruth to make this kind of commitment is an incredible sacrifice on her part. And as I said, you know, she could have stayed behind with her family and friends and with a familiar culture. She, she had a better shot to have a husband and have kids. She certainly would be a lot safer in Moab than she would be among uh, the Jewish people who are also hostile to Moabites. But instead, she chooses sacrificial loyalty to Naomi. She chooses a life that is potentially loaded with hardship, great hardship. And like Jesus, like Jesus, Ruth intentionally steps towards suffering so that Naomi's life could have a life. Sound familiar? Simply put, Ruth put her life at great risk for the sake of another. Jesus said in the New Testament, no one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And Ruth is doing exactly that. In fact, her name, Ruth, means friend. Now, second, Ruth is not only committed to Naomi, but, but somewhere in their journey as a family together, while they still had their husbands, the Moabite, this Moabite turns her life towards the Jewish God, Yahweh. That would have been a huge deal back in those days. So these women now leave Moab, they go back to Bethlehem, and it's when they arrive to Bethlehem that we get to see the depth of pain in Naomi's heart. When they arrived, the townspeople said this, is this Naomi? And she said to them, call me no longer Naomi. You know, Naomi means lovely or delightful or pleasant. That's what Naomi means. She said, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. See, Mara means bitter. And who, should, who does she blame for the bitterness? She says this, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. 
I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has dealt harshly with me? The Almighty, the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. How do you picture her as she says that? What is her demeanor? What is her voice like as she says these things? Maybe partly sad, maybe partly furious, maybe infused with a bit of resentment. Think about how she says that. But you know what? You know what? I, I, I kind of appreciate this. I know it sounds kind of odd, but I really appreciate this about Naomi. There's no spiritualizing anything with Naomi. You know, Naomi doesn't come back to Israel declaring, you know, hey, well, you know, God turns rain into rainbows or lemons into lemonade or hashtag blessed or whatever, you know, people say, right? She just says, I've lost everything. It's God's doing. Call me bitter. Whew. Maybe you can relate to those feelings of devastation and hopelessness. And that feeling that God is not only uncaring, but actually he's the cause of your pain. Maybe you have known days, maybe you're in those days right now where where God seems distant. Days when hopes and dreams fade, loved ones pass, careers fail. Days where you feel like God is at best Silent. How many of you have known the feelings of Naomi in some way or the other in your life? Now, it's also important to know here that even though Naomi is in such a deeply bleak place, Ruth stays with her. Ruth is that rare person who can handle the deep bitterness and sadness of other people. She can handle when a believer of God flat out rages against God. Have you had such friends? Have you been such a friend to others in such a circumstance? Look, let's be honest. You know, Naomi is uttering some words here that would make more than a few of us uncomfortable. It's like you're in a Bible study and then she goes, bam, with all of that. You'd be like, now wait a minute, that's not good theology. Folks, let me be straight about a couple of things. If you want to move from bitter to blessed, you need to speak the truth. You need to speak the truth of your soul out loud to others. No pious platitudes or saccharine theology is going to move you forward. The only way we ever get better is through the truth. Amen? And and if you feel like you're kind of in a Naomi type of season in your life, find someone, I beg you to find someone who can handle the truth about where you are at, who has the ability to listen below your bitterness, and they can see and they can appreciate the pain that carried you there. See a pastor, see a soul friend, see a Stephen minister, see a therapist, see someone with whom you can speak the truth about the depth of your pain. Second, if you're fortunate enough not to be in that place, then learn from Ruth how to walk with somebody in that dark journey. Can you imagine the tremendous strength that Naomi was able to draw from Ruth as they traveled through the the desert on their way to Bethlehem? You know, I I started picturing and imagining how that trip went, and and I can imagine how in those moments when Naomi's hell and darkness would wash over her yet again, you know what that's like, right? You know, you're going along, you calm down a bit, but then like a day later, you start thinking about your life, and all the hell and darkness just washes over you again, and all those feelings come rushing back. 
And that probably happened to Naomi, but, but Ruth, Ruth was there. And, and I can just picture her just, just holding her hand or grabbing her arm and, and whispering to Naomi, Naomi, we'll get through this. We will get through this. Or imagine perhaps as Naomi got closer and closer to Bethlehem, closer to that place where she was married, where her children were born, where that young family had all the hopes and dreams of the world. Imagine how gut-wrenching that must have been to see those reminders. It's just staring at her and the heartache she would have felt. Wow, what a time to have a friend like Ruth in your life. Look, brothers and sisters, this church, your neighbors, your co-workers, need the heart and the patience of Ruth to flow from you. And I don't care if you're a guy. You still need the heart of this woman. You still need the heart and compassion and patience of a Ruth in you. Because I I say that because there are so many folks, male or female, who feel the pain of that journey of Naomi. You know, I know I felt a, a, a tremendous amount of pain over the years of my life. You know, we were living on the mainland, and we had, my wife and I just went through a very deeply painful experience with the church. And now my future was nothing like what I planned it to be. Nothing like it. And I remember when in these days that seemed the darkest, when the anger of my past met up with the fear of my future, my wife would read my body language and she'd see me sitting there without me saying a word and she'd slide next to me, she'd lean into me and whisper to me, it's okay, Steve, we will get through this. We will get through this. My point is, folks, sometimes in life, the only thing that keeps you hanging on is to have other soul friends who can sit with you as Ruth did in, in, in all your bitterness, in all your anger, in all your fear of the future, who can sit with you and be God's encouragement to you that you will get through this. You know, if you feel like you don't have a ministry in life, can I ask you to pick up the ministry of encouragement? The ministry of encouragement because it is so powerful to help people's lives. You'll be amazed how just a little bit of encouragement can change a person's life. You know, for example, like, you know, when we pray for people after church or during church or at your Bible study, and if you hear a painful prayer request and you say to that person, hey, you know, would you want to meet for a bit after we pray, get a cup of coffee together and talk some more? When you do something like that, take that extra measure, that is a Ruth type of heart. That is a Ruth type of gesture. And that is the type of thing that that people can find hope again. Amen? Amen. Now these ladies, they were about to meet a person who had a similar heart, and his name was Boaz. And in chapter two, it goes like this. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a prominent rich man of the family of Elimelech, and whose name was Boaz. And one day Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain behind someone in whose sight I might find favor. Naomi replied, all right, my daughter, go ahead. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. And as it so happened, I like that, and as it happened, She found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. Now that that, that phrase there about Boaz, that he was a prominent, rich man, is a fascinating word in in Hebrew, in the language of the Old Testament. It has a very large meaning. On the one hand, it connotes a man of wealth and power and stature, but it also means a person of strength, valor, and nobility. Keep that in mind as we go along in this book. Strength, valor, and nobility 
and nobility. Now, another thing I want to note here is that Ruth goes out gleaning in the fields. That may seem a bit odd for us modern people who just go to the store to buy stuff, but let me give a quick explanation of Old Testament gleaning laws. See, when God gave his directives to Moses for the Jewish people, he knew that there would be seasons where people and families were going to fall on really hard times. Maybe they're going to go in debt. Maybe the crops didn't come in that year. Maybe there was a flood. Maybe all kinds of things. So what God does, because God knows that hardship's going to come. So he provides laws to ensure that no one starves to death in Israel. And just as importantly, he provides laws so that no one will lose their dignity for having been poor. In the book of Leviticus, it says this. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. See, the gleaning laws were a dignified and honorable way to feed people because it was humiliating to be reduced to such poverty. So God creates a a dignified, face-saving way to care for people. He's trying to provide, like we would say today, to give a hand up, not just a hand out, but a hand up to people because he does want people to work. There's there's a dignity involved when you work for, for your food. Now, what I love here is how Ruth, who is both poor and a foreigner, takes initiative to to go work. And I'm not just talking any kind of, that's hard work. I don't know if you ever ever do, anybody ever do any harvesting of grain? Not a, it's one. Okay, great, yeah. When I was a missionary in Thailand, I would harvest rice sometimes. And that is backbreaking work, man. So this lady's out there doing this kind of, uh, she's a tough, gritty, gritty lady. So one day, Boaz heads out to the field, and he probably knows most, if not all, of his workers, but he sees a new face, and he asks his foreman, who's that young woman over there? And, and, and the foreman gives him three answers. He says, well, she's a Moabite, she lives with Naomi, and she works really hard. That's, that's what he told Boaz, she works really hard. Well, those three little facts seem to impress Boaz. So in turn, Boaz invites Ruth to eat with the rest of the Jewish harvesters for lunch. And in fact, he calls her over to him and says, here, take some bread and dip it in the wine here and have some lunch with me. And he he ends up serving her food. And 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 afterwards, you know, he tells her, don't glean any place else. Just stay with my fields for the harvest season. And then he even says something really cool. He says, when you're thirsty, go and use the men's waters. Not go and serve the men water. You go over and use their water. Do you see what he's doing? He is elevating her equality, this Moabite, with everybody else on his team. He he was, as we would say today, giving her a place at the table. And then he tells his men four things, his other reapers. there. He says, look, I don't have time to read these verses, but he says this, don't touch her. Don't harm her. Don't shame her, don't rebuke her, don't stop her from gleaning. And then he says this, in fact, leave some extra sheaves behind so she can pick them up and take them home. The point is, Boaz goes beyond the laws of God in his generosity in care. He doesn't just meet the standards, he exceeds it. And you can tell by his orders to them that he really understands how difficult and dangerous it can be to be a a young, single, female foreigner among Israelite men. And here's why we can see he had that reputation of being a noble man. Guys, I I, I want you all to catch something here. I wish the world was was not prejudiced towards uh, foreigners. 
I wish the world did not see women as objects. I wish the world saw women worthy of uh, being dignified and being worthy of equal treatment, just like Boaz does. But you and I both know that is not the case in our world. So what should we do? Well, we need to do a Boaz, if you don't want me putting it like that, to step up and to step in when necessary for the vulnerable of this world, whether men or women. Vulnerable people need our help. You know, one time uh, back in Jersey, and I was walking uh, in a mall, and I saw this gang of older teenagers, and I'm not talking 14-year-olds, I'm talking like, you know, 17, 18-year-old teenagers, harassing this Indian woman, and I, I don't mean Native American, I mean a, a woman from India, and they were harassing her because she was wearing her, her native sari, you know, the, 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 her native dress of Indian women with the, with the cloth that goes like this, like a sash. And they were harassing her. They literally just kept on following her down the mall, disdainfully mocking her. And they would say things, and, and, and understand my spirit for saying this. They would say things like, hey, lady, why are you wearing your bed sheets to the mall? Disdainful. But here's the thing. A ton of people heard these boys mock her, and they all kept silent, including the men. And when I saw her discomfort, when I saw fear, when I saw her kind of cower, I finally stepped forward and confronted these guys about their disrespect. And let's just say the exchange was a little spicy. Um, then after talking to them for a while and after a few choice words towards me by them, they departed. But my point is, and I have a special challenge here for men, have you considered your God-given role in life in protecting vulnerable people? Not just women, protecting vulnerable people. I don't want to sound sexist. I know women can take care of themselves. They are strong in so many ways. Guys, if you don't think a woman is strong, watch her give birth. You want to see strength? You want to see something a man will never do? Okay? I've seen women fight human trafficking, stare down, you know, pimps and all that kind of thing. Women can be quite strong. So I'm not trying to sound sexist, but when you put a group of men against a diminutive woman, there's no way she has any shot to fight them off. So you can, I want to challenge you to step up and step in when you hear or see the aggression or contempt of men towards women, maybe in your office. Or when men denigrate or reduce women into sex objects, can you lend a hand by speaking up? The point is, whether you're a man or a woman, don't be a spectator. Don't be a spectator of seeing people unnecessarily suffer because of their vulnerabilities in life. Do something intentional to fortify their strengths and to acknowledge and affirm their dignity in life, just like Boaz did with Ruth. Amen? And the ladies are like, amen to that, yeah, all right. And after this amazing day is over, you know, Ruth goes back home and she shows Naomi this incredible haul of grain, you know, and she tells her about this guy Boaz, and oh, Naomi lights up with that one. And, and, and Naomi, who up until now is calling herself bitter, who up until now is saying her life is cursed, says these words in chapter two. Oh, may the Lord bless him, Naomi told her daughter-in-law. He, now she's she talking about the Lord here. The Lord is showing his loving kindness to us as well as to your dead husband because that man is one of our closest relatives, one of our family redeemers. Now, this sounds like a very different Ruth, I mean, excuse me, Naomi than we saw in chapter one. Perhaps maybe is her bitterness finally taking a turn towards blessedness? Now, this verse brings up a central issue in the Jewish culture, especially in this story, this notion of a family redeemer, sometimes called a kinsman redeemer. 
excuse me, the word redeem in Jewish culture belonged to the realm of family law. Each member of the family or each member of the clan had an obligation to defend and provide for any other member of the family or clan who became destitute or a victim of injustice. The redeemer of property were to, was to buy back land that the relative might have sold in a time of need. Or if somebody sold himself into slavery to pay off debts, the redeemer was to buy his freedom. The redeemer was to buy their freedom. Sounds like another redeemer we know. And the book of Ruth extends the redeemer duties to include providing an heir to a male relative who died without children. So given all this good news, Naomi starts advising, now listen, you stay close to Boaz, she says, because she's hoping sparks are going to fly here, right? Well, here's the thing, though. Barley season, harvest season goes by. The wheat harvest season goes by. Now it's been a couple of months. And you know what Boaz did in that time? Absolutely nothing. It's like a guy, just totally clueless, you know what I mean? He goes right by. So, so Boaz... Boaz never pursues Ruth in that time, but that doesn't stop old Naomi from sweetening the pot. She goes into e-harmony mode and starts setting it up. I'm going to summarize a lot here in chapter 3. Naomi tells Ruth, at the end of the Harvest Festival, they're going to celebrate, and, and Boaz is going to be celebrating, so I want you to go take a bath. She actually says that in the scripture. Go take a bath. Take a bath. Put on perfume and put on your nicest clothes. And when Boaz is feeling good and he goes to sleep there at the end of the threshing floor, I want you to lay by his feet and uncover his feet. And that sounds really weird, but hang on. Around midnight, Boaz wakes up and he says this. Who are you? He asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she replied. Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. Now, I know that sounds really weird to us, all right? But when Ruth says, spread the corner of your covering over me, what she's doing is she's calling out his duty as a redeemer to cover them with protection. And it also means in that ancient day when, 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 to, when you say, cover me with your covering, but it meant propose to me, marry me. Talk about guts, Right? Well, apparently, even though Boaz has been on the down low with Ruth these past couple of months, it didn't mean that she was far from his thoughts because once she makes that proposal, what does he say? Well, let's look. The Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz explained. You are showing even more family loyalty now than you did before. That's a lot. For, for you have not gone after younger men which are rich or poor. Now, don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary. And I like this. For everyone in town knows you are a virtuous woman. But now, though it is true, I am a near kinsman. There's another kinsman more closely related than I. So I want to stop here a second. Boaz calls her a virtuous woman. That word virtuous is the same Hebrew word that they use to describe Boaz in chapter 2. The word that means strength, valor, nobility. The man of nobility is deeply drawn to nobility of this woman. And one of the things I love about the book of Ruth is that nowhere in this book does it talk about how pretty she is. It's almost irrelevant. It, that issue of being pretty or whatever is overshadowed completely by her strength, by her nobility, by her courageous tenacity to help someone, to care for someone who cannot help herself. So let me now skim through a bunch of details as we have to wrap this up. The very next morning, Boaz goes and gets the elders and that, and that, and that other family redeemer, and they meet at the town gate. 
and, and, he, and he proposes to the guy, do you want to be the family redeemer for, redeemer for Naomi and her land? And at first, the first guy in line goes, oh yeah, sure, that sounds like a good deal. He doesn't have to marry Naomi. She's too old anyway to have kids, so he doesn't have to worry about that. Extra land, maybe some extra cash. Of course. However, Boaz mentions something else. He says, you also have to marry this Moabite woman. And that's when the guy gets cold feet. Then in verse 6, it says this. I can't redeem it. The family redeemer replied, now check this out, because this might damage my own estate. You redeem the land. I cannot do it. In other words, she will cost me too much. His eyes, his care is focused solely on what? Naomi's needs? No, his wealth, what he gets out of the deal. And I can't help but wonder if his change in mind is slightly tinged by racism. A Moabite? Whoa, no. So Boaz steps up and he steps in and what he does changes the family line forever. In fact, Boaz undertakes a costly duty to spend what he has with the possibility that he won't get more wealth in return so that others may live. And this kind of heart and action foreshadows the great redeemer who will descend from him. For you see, a descendant of Boaz and Ruth is Jesus Christ himself. And in the end, Boaz and Ruth are married and they have a child. And the book ends this way. Then the woman said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you. This is different when Naomi says, the Lord has left me. The Lord has not left you this day without next of kin. May his name be renowned in Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. Now check this out about Ruth. For your daughter-in-law who loves you is more to you than seven sons has given him birth. More to you than seven sons in his expression. She's more to you. She's better than having the perfect family. That's how highly regarded Ruth was. The, li- the women living there said, Naomi has a son and they named him Obed. And the father, he was the father of Jesse, the father of David, who would go on to be king of Israel. But I love how in these verses, bitter Naomi becomes renewed Naomi. The book begins with a famine, but it ends with fullness. And it, it opens up with the feeling of God's curse, but it ends with the recognition of how his grace has been with them all along. Look, as we end, let me point out one more thing. As crucial as Boaz is to this whole story, notice that the book is not called the book of Boaz. It's the book of Ruth. Boaz's actions were extraordinary any way you look at it, but what Ruth did was even more extraordinary. As I said before, she, like Jesus, intentionally stepped down towards suffering so that Naomi's life could have life. Does that sound like our Savior or what? And again, as Jesus said, no one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend, and Ruth did just that. See, She too foreshadows and reflects the heart and the mission of the coming Savior, Jesus Christ. He suffered and died so that we could have life if we put our faith in him. Do you have the faith? Do you have that relationship with that kind of Savior today? So as the worship team comes uh, up here, um, we have a very powerful song that I want us to meditate on in these next couple of moments. Maybe you're sitting there feeling like, oh man, I totally relate to Naomi. Maybe you're in a season of loss, of difficulty, of fear, of confusion. 
that place where you feel worn down by life. You're worn down by losses, worn down by pain or the fear of the future. So I want you to listen with an open heart what God may have to say to you through this song. That is such a powerful song. I'm reading through these lyrics, you know, and maybe you're in that place this morning. I want to know that the struggle ends. You know, you're feeling worn, so worn down by life. You want, you want to know that something else, that the redemption can happen. Life can get better. You know, if you find yourself in that place, whether physically, relationally, emotionally, soulfully, where you need prayer, you know, to my right and to my left, we'll have prayer teams. Please don't leave here without someone praying for you. Let them be the ears and the words and the arms and the hands of like Ruth, that they can begin to restore hope in your life by praying for you. Please come forward. And again, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior yet, I I encourage you to give your life to him. Don't wait one more day. Know the reclamation, the redemption of your life in him. If you're able, please stand with me as I give this blessing. And now may the great Redeemer of all of us extend his grace to you. May you be filled with with a sense of his healing and his provision for your life. And may you become, like Boaz, like Ruth, the arms, the hands, the ears, and the words of hope to a world that feels so worn. To him be all the glory. In his wonderful name we pray, amen. As you go about your life in the next week, look for ways you can be a Ruth to someone. Look for opportunities to show the love of Christ by being caring, loving, and sacrificial. If you'd like to hear this sermon again, you can listen to and download this and other sermons from the First Pres website, fpchawaii.org. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Join us at one of our worship services, too, on campus at 45550 Kiona Ole Road, Kaneohe, Hawaii, 96744. We meet Sunday mornings at 8, 930, and 1111. Follow First Prez on Twitter and Facebook. Download the brand new First Prez app. Watch First Prez sermon videos on our website and Facebook. If you need more, call us at 808-532-1111. For Pastor Dan Chan and the entire staff at First Prez, I'm Michael Shishido. Until next time, God bless you and thank you for listening. Strength for the Journey is copyright 2019 and produced by the media ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu at Ko'olau.